Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. In this episode of Alpha Acid Radio, Panic at the Disco and Metallica dip their toes into the deep end of the craft beer pool. Brooklyn Brewing Company expands to the west side. More 2019 drinking trends and the usual assortment of beer releases. All in this episode, episode number six of Alpha Acid Radio. Bam! Number six, folks. I am your host, Mr. Liquid Bread. I'm cracking open a beer, and you are listening to Alpha Acid Radio, episode number six. And we are going to dive into some beer news going on in the craft beer industry. If you could name one person that speaks both to craft beer and home brewing, and just by hearing their name, that's all you think of, who would that be? For me, it would be Charlie Papazian. Charlie has been part of homebrewing since, gosh, I w- I, to me it seems like since 1978 when Jimmy Carter repealed or passed the bill for homebrewing back in the day so people could start homebrewing. He is well known for many books that he's written. The most famous one is The Joy of Homebrewing, a book that I have on my shelf, and I'll be honest, I haven't read it all the way through, but it's it's it's... It's him in homebrewing. He's been part of that. And he has also been a part of the Brewers Association, not only as a president, but as a, as the founder of the Brewers Association. Charlie turns 70, and then uh, this week, Wednesday, January 23rd, he will cease to be a part of uh, the Brewers Association. Bob Pease, president and CEO of the Brewers Association, issued the following statement. Charlie turned his love of homebrewing into a community and culture that has had profound implications for so many, both personally and professionally. His contributions are indelible and innumerable, and his legacy lives on as the Brewers Association continues to serve the community Charlie helped to create. Cheers to Charlie as he takes the next steps on his ever never-ending path of living and learning. So basically, the they're like, goodbye, see ya, hit the old retirement home, homeboy. He is on his way out the door, and that's good for him. He's 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 done one thing, and that is to promote craft beer, promote home brewing in this great United States. And it's it's great that he's he's stepping out on a high note. Now, the only thing I, I worry is that a bunch of douchebags are going to take over the Brewers Association and jack it all up. I hope that's not the case, but you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully people keep it real, keep it into home brewing, keep keep things keep things like they were back in the day. And maybe I'm sounding like an old old fogey old man, but you know, we don't need a lot of of change to keep this industry moving. Craft beer is a craft, and making it more popular, I think, is a detriment to its longevity. The science behind it may evolve and get more modern or scientific, if, if you will. But overall, I think this is a this is a thing that's good for the industry. It's it's showing the the big beer players that hey, we don't want to drink bland beer or bland anything, and we want flavors in our beverages. 
I always try to attribute beer to food because a lot of people hate it when you rip on a brewery or drop some sh- some negativity towards a brewery. And I think the craft beer industry as a whole has grown to enough to to be able to hold its own, to be able to handle some criticism. And the food industry is very similar. You know, you have food critics that go out there and they go to restaurants and and all sorts of type of places to eat food. And they write blogs and articles and podcasts or what have you and discuss how beer is good or bad or what whatever it may be. And that helps you become a better consumer, but also helps that industry become more refined and better at what they do. And I think that same philosophy applies to the beer industry. I think they need to hear the truth. Don't butter up a brewery just because everyone else is kind of on the bandwagon and they all think it's great because I don't think that's good for the industry as a whole. Just because a brewery brews a beer a certain way and everybody loves it and then they decide to change the recipe a little bit and add adjuncts or maybe change it from a more wholesome ingredient to more of an extract ingredient doesn't mean you still pile onto that brewery and, and, and give it props. If you notice a flavor change, speak the fuck up. Don't just sit there and 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 ride the bandwagon with all the other gateway beer drinkers that have just discovered this beer. They can love this beer as much as they want, and you can too if you like it. But if you, in the back of your head, say, yeah, this beer just doesn't taste like it did back in the day. Something's changed. They've gotten too big, and they've started to refine the beer. I mean, Goose Island's a great example. They've started, they've got bought out by AB and Bev, and now are pasteurizing Bourbon County brand stout. I, to me personally, I still like the beer. Kind of, kind of wince at the whole pasteurization process, but it is what it is. And I don't think that the flavor profile and the character of the beer has changed too much away from the original. It has changed. And I'll say that for those of you that are hardcore Bells fans. Remember the day when they first came out with Solson, which is now called Oberon. And when that beer came out, it was this meaty wheat beer that was released in the spring. Now, it's still released in the spring, but it's more of a refined wheat beer. And it doesn't have that thick, hazy uh, substance to the body anymore. And it's kind of floating and and kind of flirting a little bit with like a blue moon. And it's still not a bad beer. It's still a decent, you know, style beer. But those roots that Bell's had back in, you know, the late, mid to late 90s really showed that Oberon was a craft beer. And, you know, maybe it's flirting a little bit with a refinement. A real, uh, uh, they've, they've grown too big to hold on to the roots. And I think that's what's important here is that the, the Brewers Association has lost their keystone roots player with Charlie Papazian and they need to remember where their roots came from and not alter the guidelines what a craft brewery is for that matter and keep it real I mean and I want people to understand that you know beers are are good and everybody likes a beer and hates a beer and I think people need to speak up when they don't like a beer and I think that people need to uh not ride the bandwagon. So if your buddy likes a certain beer and you just don't like it, that's fine. You know, it's a it's it's a free country. You know what I'm saying? And people shouldn't get pissed off about that. You know, this is how shit is. So 
I may be getting off the bandwagon a little bit here, off in the weeds a little bit with this, but for the most part, the basis of this is is a really founding father of craft beer and home brewing has left the Brewers Association. I just want to make sure that we understand that I think the Brewers Association shouldn't drift too far off of that pioneered trail that he set forth. So I applaud him, give him a little bit of a golf clap here, a little men at work golf clap, and uh, hope that he does well and lives a long, prosperous uh, rest of his life and that the Brewers Association doesn't get their head up their ass too much. So this next article is from vinepair.com, and they talk about how wheat wine is the most extreme craft beer style you haven't been drinking. And I don't know if most of you know what a wheat wine is. It kind of sounds funky because it's a beer, but it's got the word wheat and, of all things, wine in its name. Basically, what a wheat wine is, it's a it's kind of like a barley wine, but at least 51% of the grain bill, the amount of grain they used, out of 100% of the grain that they used to make that beer, whether it's at a brewery level or at a homebrew level, 51% of it needs to be wheat to be considered a wheat wine. And this article is kind of nice. It's a kind of a nice write-up to kind of to kind of promote the wheat wine, talk about wheat wine, kind of talk about how it's a lost beer that some breweries hit on, but not a lot of them make it. And some breweries either flirt with it or some breweries uh, actually brew the shit out of it. So I want you to understand that wheat wine and barley wine, like again, are very similar and they're, they're big beers. And a, what's weird about a wheat wine, and if you compared it to a barley wine, is it looks lighter. But in my opinion, they're very similar in that the only thing difference is their appearance. The bodies are both still very heavy as far as, as, as beers go. They're, they're up there with that stout kind of heaviness, maybe even more so because it's just got a big weight because it's got such a big malt build or wheat and malt build that give it a nice thick mouthfeel. And then there's a lot of flavors that can come out of this. In a barley wine, there's a lot of caramel and and kind of mixed in with some roasted malts. Wheat wine is a little bit lighter in, in the malt build, but also has a lot of that caramel and roasted malt you know flavors that a, a barley wine would have. So this article goes on to talk about basically how it started off at uh, the sleeper hit of 2018 was Bourbon County brand wheat wine. So in 2018, Goose Island released its typical Bourbon County brand stout on Black Friday, but they also, for the first time since 2013, included a wheat wine. And I guess it just shocked everybody that there was a wheat wine folded in with the rest of these variants of this incredible bourbon barrel-aged stout. And this is a bourbon barrel-aged wheat wine that they released in vine pair of course it's their own article they actually called it the sleeper hit of 2018 it's now the uh, bourbon county brand wheat wine is now uh the top ranked beer in the wheat wine category on untapped if you're familiar with untapped so that's pretty impressive now maybe it's just it's you know hype because it's bourbon you know bourbon county and you know maybe it's a little overhyped that can happen a little bit but obviously, there's some substance there that, you know, that's it's a pretty solid beer. You know, they go in and talk about how wheat wine is a cross between, obviously, a barley wine and a pastry stout. A pastry stout is uh, what I'm interpreting that as when they reference that term is that it's a stout with a lot of chocolate, maybe a lot of 
lactose to give it kind of a creamy or milky flavor uh, and sweetness as well. So you've got this chocolate and cream and vanilla and kind of all going on and mixing together and you get the kind of like a chocolate pastry going on. And they say that's a, it's kind of a, they, some people look, uh, look at a, at a wheat wine as a experimental labor intensive old school and rare type of beer that's often overlooked, especially in comparison with other extreme beers like a barrel aged stout or a milkshake IPA, which I think I talked a little bit about uh, IPAs that have lactose in them uh, is a new style that's a new trend that's it's kind of emerging in the craft beer industry. So they go on to talk about different breweries that actually brew these type of beers. Some of them flirt with them, like Three Floyds Brewing and Night Shift Brewing, and others kind of have a Keystone wheat wine like the brewery, Perennial Artesian Ales, and other half brewing all have kind of a Keystone beer. And then you have Wiley Roots Brewing Company that currently has three wheat wines available on its ta- in its tap room and recently announced plans to expand that program in January. So you got three, you know, you got three different kind of extremes here. You've got the one brewery that just kind of, eh, there's a wheat wine, guys. Just didn't really plan it, but here it is. Check it out, see what you think. Then you got the breweries that, yeah, we got a Keystone wheat wine that we're going to brew every year. It's going to come out at this time of the year, at this quarter, right after this beer and before that beer. And then you've got another, you know, the far end of the spectrum, like Wiley Roots Brewing, that they love wheat wines. We, we like wheat wines so much. We're gonna we're gonna have multiple one versions of them on tap, and we're gonna expand that. So that's kind of interesting that there's a lot of different takes. And I talked a little bit about last week about a really good base stout that a brewery needs to have a really good base stout to kind of really set itself apart from other breweries. You, know, you can have a stout that's kind of watered down and shitty, but if you have a really good meaty base stout on your tap list or on your portfolio of beers that you brew every year or maybe on even on tap all year long then it kind of sets you aside as being a kind of a really good beer because you're taking that that step towards a complex beer that takes a lot of you know labor-intensive work to make and that goes with wheat wines wheat wines and barley wines even more so than stouts those are some really intensive beers to make a lot of ingredients going into those beers and a lot of money for that matter that go into those beers and so it's it's this article is kind of neat if you can check it check this beer this uh, article out it kind of goes into i'm not going to go into it too much more but it goes in and talks about a lot of the 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 purpose behind what they think why they think wheat wines are a a kind of a beer that's forgotten it's a it's a good keystone beer that you could throw up on your tap list and really sh- and really shine and show your brewing prowess as a brewery, but a lot of breweries won't even touch that or even barley wines for that matter. So just to, just to put a little note at the end here, Wiley, they've got a picture of Wiley Brewing Company's one of their uh, wheat wines, and it's called Breakfast Strudels. It's a maple and pecan wheat wine ale, and that is impressive sounding. It sounds, <laughs> sounds really damn good. Comes in a 12-ounce can. And oh, I'm sorry, it comes in a 16 ounce can. And man, that sounds really good, guys. Uh, I don't know where Wiley Roots is from, but I need to check them out for sure. Okay, I might be beating a dead horse here because we've talked about trends and beer styles that are going to be prominent in 2019. And this is just 
another one of those articles. This is coming from realclearlife.com, and it is 10 Ways Beer Drinking Will Change in 2019. So the reason I'm bringing this article up is because they brought up some good points that I've either ignored, overlooked, or didn't even think of. And the first one on their list is the rise of CBD beer. If most of you are like me and read some news articles, you'll see that some of the breweries out there and some of the more prominent states that have marijuana legalized, like Colorado, for instance, are looking at making marijuana-infused beer. And this is one of the, the trends that they see this year is that there will be some beers in certain states where CBD is infused into beer. They're... Some breweries are actually touting it as being a beer that does not cause hangovers. Uh, So that's kind of impressive. But for the most part, any type of marijuana or uh, CBD, for that matter, infused beer probably will be on the rise this year. And they're not not kidding. I, I agree with this wholeheartedly. Next on their list, they talk about the return of the bottle shop, uh, which I was kind of confused about because I have not really notice that the bottle shop has left, but they apparently say that there's been such a big influx of people looking for that rare beer, that special release at the brewery level that they've forgotten and left their own local bottle shops. And they have said that there's so many breweries out there now and so many special releases and so many rare beers that are being released at the brewery level that people are kind of getting burned out of it and just want to, and they're getting, I guess, I guess you could say they're getting kind of lazy and just want to sit at home and hit their local bottle shop to get some of those beers that are actually released in packaging that gets distributed. So I could kind of see that too. That might be, I don't know if that's quite a trend upward that you would, that would actually be noticed by people in 2019. There may be an influx of that happening, but I think a lot of the younger craft beer generation, the ones that are just getting into craft beer, have moved beyond the migration of macro beers and gotten in just into craft beers. The the ones I like to call there the gateway craft beer drinkers, the ones that have just gotten into those mild craft beers that don't taste like, you know, the beers that, you know, are domestic Budweiser Miller Coors, but starting to have a little bit more flavor to them. Those people are starting to expand out. So I don't know if I really see this as a increase. I think it's a it's a natural migration from younger to older, older going to the bottle shops. So next on their list is what I kind of hinted on last episode, and that is the hazy IPA will remain. But they also say that the West Coast IPA will make a comeback. And they talk about the, uh, they, they, they're looking at West Coast versus New England style IPA and that the New England style IPA is still hot, but people are going to start going back towards the West Coast IPA. And I think they've got it wrong here because I don't think it was West versus New England style IPA. Originally, it was West Coast versus East Coast. And they talk about the West Coast IPAs that were so popular because they were bitter and they had clarity and head retention. If you compare that to East Coast, yeah, they're they have clear the West Coast beers did have clarity and head retention, but the East Coast breweries also had head retention, but they were way more bitter than the West Coast breweries. The West Coast breweries were real mild in their hops. They think they were hoppy, but where do you think Dogfish 120 came from? It wasn't West Coast, brother. It was East Coast. 
a lot of the big name breweries that had big forward hoppy beers, they had a lot of IBUs. That shit was bitter as hell. And then when you went to like a Stone or Lagunitas, uh, Sierra Nevada, even Pliny the Elder, when first time I had that, they were all mildly hopped. And yeah, they were really well done. They were smooth and they had some nice clarity to them. And that's what I kind of attribute to a West Coast IPA. Go to the East Coast, dude, that shit's hitting you in the face. If you've got a cracked tooth, that hops is going to break that tooth apart and it's going to fall out in your glass because the hops are so prominent and so bitter and so over the top. So that's what the East Coast was. Now, with that being said, threw in the Hazy IPA, which is a New England-style IPA, and that's a totally different beer, not hoppy, not clear. It's a hazy, juicy, metamucil, grapefruit explosion. And again, I don't think that's going away, and I think there's a lot of big-name breweries that haven't really dabbled in it yet because they kind of shrugged off the, the hype train. There's some that have making it. I just had a Goose Island uh, hazy IPA. It wasn't called a New England style, but it was a hazy IPA. And I think some of the big-name breweries are going to start brewing more of those and really playing around with the uh, the their recipes. Because some, some breweries I don't think do it right. I've heard, I've heard numerous times that breweries throw flour in their beer to make it hazy, and that is wrong. I think the proteins and oats they use in a beer make it hazy and and keep it you know, traditional, and then there's some other stuff going on to make it juicy, but you don't throw flour in a beer. It's crazy. They continue to talk about how craft beer lagers will be a thing this year, a bigger thing this year, uh, and as well as low-calorie beers. And I agree with the low-calorie beers. I talked about non-alcoholic beers last episode. Low-calorie beers, I think we saw that Dogfish Head recently came out with a low-calorie beer. I think that is indeed true on the low-calorie side. As far as craft lagers... I think that is that train has come and is already bulldozing everybody down. I think there are so many breweries now with the influx of brewing equipment that has glycol in it to keep the beers cool and to brew that cooler uh, lager style beers at the lower temperatures is already here and already it, it's it's full fledged. We're on the train already and rolling. So I don't think that's necessarily a rising trend in 2019. I think it's already here. But low calorie beers, hell yeah, I think that's big, and I think I think that's kind of uh, something. I think that's more prominent than the non-alcoholic beers. I still don't think, even though a lot of breweries are brewing that non-alcoholic beer, I just don't see the market share of people wanting to buy it. Not that people won't, I just don't see it being profitable. On the low calorie side, I do see that because low people do want low calorie beers, especially people coming out of the uh, new year and they want to kind of get you know fit want to lower their caloric intake and but they like beer you know first thing you're going to do is look at you know their beer consumption and a lot of people will go dry and just not drink any alcohol or beer for that matter in january february or march Uh, but it'd be nice to have a low calorie craft beer rather than just have to say well i like craft beer but i'm trying to watch my calories so i'm going to drink you know michelob ultra and you might as well just drink a glass of water but It'd be nice to have some low-calorie craft beer uh, choices out there for sure. Uh, they continue to say further experimentation with ingredients. I agree with that. That's always going to be there to try to find the next big thing. And campaign beer. They're talking about beers coming out for the campaign, the presidential election that will be coming up in the next year and a half. I don't know about that. I can't believe that's a trend. There may be a few breweries that brew something like that, but I, you know, make America great and stuff, stupid stuff like that. But I don't actually think that uh, 
it's going to be a longevity trend where it, it continues. So kind of a nice list. There's some legitimate uh, trends that I agree with there that I didn't think of and some little legitimate trends that I think are BS or, or not trends at all. And they're already here to stay. So nice, nice little article. Tell me what the name of this. So this segues right into this next story, which is Brooklyn Brewing Company will be now uh, distributing to California for some of their beers. Up until now, you could get a pint of Brooklyn Brewery Brewery's flagship lager in Australia, Belgium, France, Brazil, and Japan, or even in Kentucky, Ohio, or Texas, but you cannot get it in California. So head brewer Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewing Company will be giving people their first sip of this beer around the end of January in California. So of those styles of beers that will be hitting California, specifically, these are the beers that will be hitting shelves in California. Brooklyn Lager, Defender IPA, Bel Air Sour, the Stonewall Inn IPA, Brooklyn Summer Ale, Black Chocolate Stout, and one of their one of their better beers because it's a different style you don't usually see by breweries, Sriracha Ace, which is their Belgian style saison. So if you're in California and you want to taste some of the East Coast roots from the 1980s one of the old school breweries brooklyn is coming to your area so check them out at a bottle store near you i'd also like to mention cigar city is going to be distributing a new assorted 12 pack of cans to their distribution footprint this new mixed pack will include highlight guayabara citripale ale probably pronounced that wrong sorry florida cracker white ale along with a new space pope IPA. This new release will be brewed with Mosaic, Citra, Haller, Tower, Blanc, and Galaxy Hops. Expect Space Pope IPA to make sporadic draft appearances this year in the distribution footprint as well. And will remain in the taproom and mix pack only release nationally. Well, you know by my last episode how I'm a sucker for beer and music. And unfortunately, I did not play the Danger Mouse song. That should have accompanied the beer release that I announced last week. But I will not falter this week with the two beer slash music releases that are on the agenda. The first one is Metallica. Metallica has teamed up with Stone Brewing out of San Diego to make a beer called Enter Night Pilsner. Kind of a play on Enter the Sandman, I suppose. And obviously it's Pilsner. So I'm guessing it's going to be a lighter style beer with that German kind of feel with a big hop, West Coast hop presence. So even though I mentioned this was Stone Brewing Company helping them brew the beer, it's actually one of their subsidiaries that they call Arrogant Consortia. So Arrogant Consortia describes Enter Night Pilsner as a traditional German Pilsner that's been warped with a distortion pedal 
to include overtones of aggression. In beer speak, it's a hop forward with a bitter finish, registering a 5.7% ABV. According to the release, the band and the brewery work closely together to create it, including putting in time on backstage drinking sessions. Metallica frontman James Hatfield is sober, so he didn't drink any. The Pilsner is rolling off across the U.S. now in six packs and on draft, and, and it'll go international this spring. So what I get annoyed with is when a band meets hooks up with a brewery, a craft brewery nonetheless, hey, let's do a beer, and then they turn around and brew a weak-ass Pilsner. And what that reads to me, now, now granted, I could be wrong and I could be reading into this, but the, what that reads to me is that, hey, the band isn't into craft beer yet, so let's go light on them with a Pilsner. We gotta kind of stay with our roots, so we'll add a little extra hops, but we don't want to discourage the band from drinking this. Fuck that, man. You're a fucking craft brewery, and if they don't like your beer, they can hit the road and brew a beer with fucking ABM Bev. You know what I'm saying? Brew a fucking traditional craft beer. You know who proved that? Dogfish Head. Numerous times. How many beers has Dogfish Head brewed with either music labels or musicians, and they actually made a kick-ass eccentric beer that's not some pilsner or colch or some other bull crap to me that's blah and a weak fucking attempt at trying to mesh music and craft beer mental middle finger so the other beer that's paired with a musical artist is panic at the disco And they meshed up with Ashbury Park Brewery to make a beer called I Panic at the Disco or IP exclamation point ATD. They started brewing this beer uh, during the band's sold out arena show at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey on January 18th. And will continue to uh, sell this beer at their Ashbury Park Brewing location starting the 19th until all all beer, all the all of this beer is sold out. Uh, I'll skip through all this, but the one thing I want to point out now that I got off the bandwagon with Metallica and air quotes around Stone Brewing Company is that Panic at the Disco is not nearly an established band like Metallica is. And yet they're brewing an American IPA with a strong malt backbone and big hop finish that's coming in at 6% ABV and 65 IBUs. So I applaud Panic at the Disco, big band that's current a current band versus what I just talked about, Metallica. You know they're 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 brewing a, they're brewing a big name beer, a beer that's you know maybe got you know some some meat behind it versus this shitty ass German Pilsner crap that Lars Ulrich wants to drink while he's not downloading illegal music from Napster. So props that they brewed a beer that's. A craft beer, a true craft beer is an IP, American IPA, versus doing what Stone and Metallica are doing by brewing a gateway craft beer that's maybe just one step up from any of the assorted beers that ABM Bev sells. Next up is a kind of a big news story, but doesn't really impact that many people outside of San Francisco, and that is Russian River will be doubling their Pliny the Younger production for for the 2019 release here in the first two weeks of February. So every year in February 1st through 14th or so, 
Russian River uh, releases their 10.25% triple IPA, Pliny the Younger, which is a step up from their Pliny the Elder. This year, they will be making 350 barrels of this beer versus last year, which they only made 160. Now, the difference here is that they will be taking those extra barrels and releasing them at their Windsor, California location. And this is all for San Francisco Beer Week, by the way. Uh, so if you're at one of their two locations, you can have this beer. Now, I have seen this beer at other big-name bars across the United States, but not a ton. To be honest with you, the only real brewery I can name off the top of my head that I know has had Pliny the Younger on tap, and I've seen people there drinking it and heard about it hitting there multiple times, is Monk's Cafe out of Philadelphia. So there may be other bars, craft beer bars in the United States that actually get a keg of this and have it on tap, but the most prominent is the most prominent and most one of the most famous craft beer bars out of the entire United States is Monk's Cafe in Philadelphia. All right, let's get to some beer releases. Out of Boulder, Colorado, Upslope Brewing Company will be releasing its Rocky Mountain Kolsch, which is a Kolsch-style ale brewed with Colorado honey and sage. Mmm. 5.1% ABV. They'll also be releasing their 2019 Experimental India Pale Ale, which comes in at a 6.5% ABV. And you can check that out, not only in Boulder, but also the rest of Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, Wyoming, Montana, Nebraska, and Florida. Sweetwater Brewing Company out of hot Lana, Georgia, will debut their Peach Love and Happiness Berliner Weiss at their 22nd Bash. You can expect this spring seasonal in 12-ounce cans, 12-ounce bottles, and on draft. It is a Berliner Weiss with peaches and comes in at a 4.7% ABV. Pelican Brewing Company out of Pacific City, Oregon, will be releasing their father of all tsunamis. This is a rye whiskey barrel-aged imperial stout, which is already becoming a modern classic, they say. It has already won four medals and was only introduced two years ago with three awards in 2018, including a gold at the Australian International Beer Awards and silvers at both the Brussels Beer Challenge and Oregon Beer Awards. So right off the bat, I'm kind of looking at this going, not really beer words that I would associate with an awesome beer, especially Australia. They have a warmer climate. I can't, can't believe they really would enjoy a big bourbon barrel aged stout like this, but you know, maybe they do. Father of all tsunamis is full of rich roasted flavors reminiscent of dark chocolate and espresso. It takes things one step further with aging it in rye whiskey barrels, which adds layers of spiciness vanilla, and caramel. The Imperial Stout emerges with richness and balance beyond any stout ever created at Pelican. Now, I've had some Pelican beers. Not overly impressed with them at all. This specific beer is 11.2% ABV and 55 IBUs. If you're really interested in this beer, Father of All Tsunamis can be shipped directly as Pelican can ship it to select U.S. states. You can actually check that out at app.smartsheet.com. 
they have a form that you can fill out and submit, and they will tell you if you can get that beer in your state. I may just do that after I'm done recording this episode. Next is Fremont Brewing Company out of Seattle's Bring Out the Kraken! I'm kidding. It's Fremont Brewing Company out of Seattle's Sky Kraken Hazy Pale Ale. Fremont Brewing Company will be introducing their Hazy IPA in both 12-ounce and 22-ounce bottles and as well uh, as as drafts uh, this year. This is their newest year-round lineup. So again, uh, Hazy IPA slash New England-style IPA is making a year-round release introduction, which is interesting, instead of just a seasonal release. This naturally unfiltered beer is made with Strata, Mosaic, and a touch of Citra Hops and two-row malt, malted oats, not flour, white wheat, and flaked wheat. Sky Kraken swims through the sky with ripe melon, juicy citrus, pineapple, and pepper flavors. That's interesting. The Fremont Brewing Company CEO says, We released the Kraken because Krakens can only be kept a secret for so long. He goes on to joke and says this Kraken likes watercolors, chocolate cookies, tuna snacks, and dislikes being alone. So if you see the Kraken, please take it home and share it with friends. Anyways, that is, that's a really good breakdown of this. Uh, label's awesome, too. It has a giant squid on the label, which is attacking a Zeppelin in the sky. It's just sky Kraken. Yeah, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. You have a Kraken. You're in the sky with a Zeppelin. There's a cloud in the background. Boom. Sky Kraken. I like it. I like it. I'm going to I'm gonna hit up my buddies out on the West Coast and see if they can get me some of this. Looks interesting. Lost Abbey will be releasing their board meeting coffee brown in cans. This is one of their favorite beers brewed with Ryan Brothers coffee and cacao nibs, creating a decadent yet refreshing beer that will satisfy your coffee, chocolate, and beer needs. Snag a four-pack at our tasting room or keep an eye out for them in bottle shops around town. High Wire Brewing Company did a three-beer collaboration where they released all their beers in these weird cans. Now, they say they're... Well, let me get to that in a second about the cans because I, I kind of got a little beef to pick with that because I think they're going to get sued or some kind of cease and desist. But uh, in their beers, they did a collaboration with three different breweries. The first beer is a Hoppy Pilsner at 5.5% ABV made with Cincinnati's Rheingeist Brewing Company, which is dry hopped with Vic Secret, Matuko, and Ella. They also made a Blonde Brunch Stout at 4.8% ABV brewed with Charleston, South Carolina's Revelry Brewing, which is made with vanilla, cinnamon, cacao, lactose, and coffee. And the third beer they made, which is a North Coast IPA at 6.7% ABV, which was a collaboration with Atlanta's Monday Night Brewing, which is a double dry hopped with Idaho 7, Citra, Eldorado, and Amarillo hops. So High High Wire Brewing Company, which is out of, I believe, Asheville, North Carolina, and made these beers with these three breweries and put them in cans with some kind of lids, and they made them look like that what they say is nostalgic or I'm sorry, vintage spray paint themed cans. They're not vintage. They're not vintage whatsoever. I can go right now 
to my local big box hardware store, or even that matter, the local family-owned uh, hardware store. And if you just walk up and look at a Krylon paint can, spray paint can, that's what these look like, only shrunk down in a 12-ounce beer can model with a cap on top. But they have the multicolored circles interlacing with each other. And it's not vintage at all. It's right now. And if whoever owns whatever big, big company owns Krylon, they get wind of this. I see a little bit of a cease and desist letter going on. And I usually don't like those because they're usually far-fetched. But in this case, it's damn close to the original Krylon can. Uh, it's, 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 it's definitely questionable, but anyways, they're actually kind of kick ass until if you can find these right now, grab them because they are, they're a can that you want to hang on. Maybe drink the beer out of it and keep the can because they're actually kick ass looking cans for the most part. Firestone Walker will, will be releasing meat Rosalie, a co-fermented beer rosé born in wine country made with hibiscus and wine grapes. This doesn't sound good in my opinion, but some people might like it in the summertime. Actually, it's a very pretty looking beer, very pink, obviously, rosé, rose, hibiscus. Uh, I think 21st Amendment is doing a similar beer called Sparkle that may be interesting as well. So check this one out. Pipeworks Brewing Company out of Chicago will be releasing their Infinite Galaxy, which is a Galaxy Hopped IPA, so keep an eye out for that one. Heavy Seas Brewing Company out of Baltimore, Maryland will be releasing their 2019 Blackbeard's Breakfast, which is a robust porter with a new world twist. It's aged in bourbon barrels and brewed with local Chesapeake Bay Roasting Company's Dark Sumatra Coffee. This porter is flavorful and complex. It features unique English malts. This brew will have strong notes of caramel and a slight nut character paired with bourbon notes and a sumptuous Sumatran coffee. Blackbeard's breakfast will please coffee and beer connoisseurs alike. It's only a limited draft version. The limited draft only version is is fi actually finished with house-made uh, caramel or caramel and salt to create an even more complex and tantalizing flavor. Uh, yes, please, please uh, let me have some of that. That is amazing sounding. I believe the non-draft-only version will be in 12-ounce bottles in your Heavy Seas distribution. Actually, four packs of 12-ounce bottles in your Heavy Seas distribution footprint. This next one is kind of it's kind of a uh, sheep, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. This is Flying Fish Brewing Company is going to be releasing their Irish Potato Candy, and in air quotes, IPC, Stout. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. How do they work? No, 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 no. It's not ICP as in insane clown posse. It's IPC as in potato candy. So they say no Irish potato candy was harmed in the making of this beer, but it, it, it is actually a traditional Philadelphia confection. So they, they highlight this imperial stout with hints of coconut and cinnamon to celebrate the season. This is a 10.3% ABV beer. So the original Philadelphia confection does not call for actual potato. The ingredients are combined into a ball shape and rolled in, a, rolled in cinnamon, giving the candy a potato-like appearance. 
So this beer was specifically brewed in four packs of uh, 16-ounce cans and in a limited draft in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland. This This beer will be the first of five limited releases in this format from Flying Fish in 2019. So check that out. Because that beer sounds amazing as well. And the last beer release I want to mention and the last topic of this episode is a beer release from Aslan Beer Company, which if if some of you haven't heard of, is out of Herndon, Virginia. On Wednesday, January 16th at 3 p.m., which is so specific, they released a progeny beer by Bo, which I'm not quite understanding that named Interstellar Planet-Eating Creature. This is an imperial stout. And they continue to say, when you combine certain flavors, it can attract the top of the galactic food chain. This gigantic monster is completely void of light and has a complex, complex array of maple, bacon, peanut butter, and chocolate. Opening your can signals the end of times, so choose wisely. Well, hypothetically, of course. This is a 15% ABV beer. This is a big-ass beer. And it will be released, it sounds like, in uh, four cans uh, that are 16-ounce cans at $8 a piece, possibly. Might be 12-ounce cans. Anyways, that sounds like an impressive, impressive beer. I love the description. It's very uh, sci-fi and almost like Comic-Con kind of kind of going on there just the it's like it's like a comic con themed beer put that at a comic con and let's just see what happens let's sit back and watch what unfolds anyways that is the last beer release we've got that is the end of episode six of alpha acid radio so if you need to reach me you can actually send me a direct message on twitter or just include me on a tweet by including mr liquid bread in your tweet or at mr liquid bread you can also email me directly by sending me sending an email to beer at mrliquidbread.com. And if you want to really get crazy, you can find me at mewe.com, which is a social networking site that no one's ever heard of, but it's becoming big. So reach out to me. Let me know what's going on. Let me know what uh, you want me to talk about. Let me know about your local brewery. Again, tell me about your local brewery. I'll dig up some dirt on it, talk about it. I will be straight up. So if it's not good, don't, and you don't want to hear about it, don't send it to me because I'll be for real, for shizzle. Peace out. Ha- drink some beers. Have some good beers in the upcoming week, and we'll see you on episode number seven at Alpha Acid Radio. <laughs>